anything that we're going to be investing in requires that sort of, uh, is it sizzle or is it steak determination of, you know, whether you're buying a car or whether you're, you're picking a school. The hype isn't as important as the meat. Hello, my name is Jeff Large, and you are listening to Choosing a Massage School. This is a podcast series where I talk with world-renowned instructors about what you need to know when deciding on the right massage therapy school. In this episode, I speak with Chair of the Commission on Massage Therapy Accreditation, Cliff Korn. Not only does he highlight what to look for in a great educational environment, he also underlines why you should leave room for change in your career, in your vision, and your goals. His non-traditional journey and his role as both a practitioner and an accreditation chair are what make his well-rounded perspective so valuable. Well, I'm I'm one of those folks who unfortunately could never say no when someone asked me to do something, so I'm kind of a volunteeraholic. But I started in a local chapter of the American Massage Therapy Association and kind of uh, went through the chairs in that. A good friend of mine got me volunteering for the National Certification Board for Therapeutic Massage and Body Work. I chaired several of the committees there and then was elected to their board and ended up as chair of that organization back around the turn of the century in 2000. I was an editor of um, uh, the newspaper Massage Today that was put out back in uh, right about the same time, 2000. And so I did that for a number of years. I am probably most known for my time with the Massage Therapy Foundation. I served on their board as a trustee for many years. And in the last seven or eight years, I've been uh, on the, uh, a commissioner with the Commission on Massage Therapy Accreditation. So I've had done a number of things, but most of all, the viewpoint I have is that of a practitioner, an actual hands-on practitioner. So I've been doing that since 1992. Okay. All right. And then, so you've, you've been able to actually practice that an entire time while you're doing the different chair seats and everything? The entire time. Like okay. I said, volunteer-aholic. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I would guess at least that you get exposure to things that maybe your common people in practice don't necessarily get to. One example that comes to mind for me is I used to be a teacher and I had the opportunity to go to the Department of Education one time to lobby for some different things um, from an organization I was with. And that was extremely eye-opening because it took me out of just my school and my classroom. And then it helped me see kind of education on a national level. So I'm wondering, are there things like that from you being able to have the diversity of serving on these different boards and in these different positions that has sort of broadened your perspective as a practitioner? Oh, yes. Okay. And that like very much so, much as as you did. I uh, have, well, not lobby, but I have spoken for or against legislation in in the field. And I did that back when I was president of a local American Massage Therapy Association chapter. I did that more there than than anywhere else. In my current role, I certainly see different aspects of education than your average therapist does. And in reality, most therapists wouldn't care about the things that I, that I see because they're only dealing with uh, with schools and how they operate and where they uh, exceed expectations and where they uh, maybe fall short. Not too many people get into the importance of the financial stability of an educational institution, but certainly an accreditor, that's a very important thing to them. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. so I, yeah, that, that's really what I'd say. The, the things that I, uh, 
I see now, I mean, a lot of them are just organizational that are, are unique to the various organizations that I've been in. But all of them uh, I found required or benefited from a practitioner viewpoint. Really, that's where the biggest impact is to the majority of the profession. There's a lot more practitioners than there are schools or associations. So I was very pleased to be able to bring that perspective to all the roles that I had. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's such a, a, an interesting point you make because it's like we see these things. It's always like at the ground level when change is actually happening and the people that are being affected. And then for you to have that role on top of and it like kind of in, in addition to from the top level who might be like making some of those those more executive decisions where you know what it's like like sort of like in the trenches quote unquote um it's got to be a really unique perspective yeah well part of that probably came from i had a business background before i changed professions uh, and went into massage therapy i uh, went into massage therapy in my 40s where today most people are much younger going in. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I had experiences in, um, in making management type decisions before I walked into the profession. Now, don't worry. We'll revisit Cliff's unique career trajectory later in this interview. But first, I want you to understand his current role. COMTA is the Commission on Massage Therapy Accreditation. And as chair, he acts as the primary spokesperson for the organization. I, in concert with uh, the executive director that I hired, we, we kind of make the decisions. We have an executive committee that actually uh, stands for the full commission on, on day-to-day issues. But the commission is itself makes a determination as to whether schools can be accredited, cannot be accredited, if they're accredited but have a, a shortcoming, which we call a condition, whether actions they've taken have met standards such that uh, the condition can be removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it's kind of a, a decision-making body on school quality is, is how I look at it. Okay. So, I mean, it, it sounds self-explanatory to my next question, but I'll let you, I'll let you iterate anyways. Why is an organization like Compta important to a new massage therapy student? Like, why why is it relevant? Oh, <laughs> I wish more people recognize the relevance of it. I think it's crucial. Again, when you're on the ground, you don't necessarily see the infrastructure that that's around a profession. But imagine if your physician or your pilot or, or anybody that's important to you came out of a school that chose its own determination as to whether it was good or not. There have to be some national standards, something that crosses the line so that whether you graduate from Yale or Boise State or a community college, you know you have something that is valid and is going to be accepted. And that's kind of what accreditation is. And I don't want to get into the technical aspects of the difference in institutional accreditation and programmatic accreditation, all of which are important, for a school to know, but for a student who graduates from the school and may want to, or may not want to, but find circumstances that that mean they they move to another state or go somewhere. An accredited education provides more stability for them. It provides a knowledge that the education they've gotten meets standards that are acceptable to the profession. All right. So that's, in a nutshell, the real benefit of it. I mean, there's benefits to regulators, there's benefits to the public, there's lots of benefits to it. But for the perspective uh, 
uh, practitioner. It's basically they're getting an education that is going to meet standards that are valid across the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what I'm hearing then, just to repeat back at the sake of even just repeating it, by being accredited, by attending an accredited school, it's like it hits a certain level, just a, a universal standard expectation. You're ensuring hopefully then with that a higher level of quality and a higher level of education. Is, is that the yeah. gist? And there is no guarantee that an unaccredited school can't provide an education as good, but there's nothing that says that they do. Yeah, yep, <laughs> uh, yep. That, I guess that's the bottom line as far as I'm concerned. And going beyond that, if in fact a student is going to require uh, federal financial aid, they have to come from a, uh, an accredited school because um, the U.S. Department of Education has accreditors as the gatekeepers for financial aid. What kind of quality indicators are you looking for in a school? Like how does a school meet that standard or that expectation that you're talking about here? Well, there's, <laughs> there is a um, rather large list of competencies that a, a, a practitioner needs to have to practice effectively, safely, etc. Um, and Compta has developed a, a list of these competencies, and many schools, even ones that are not accredited uh, by Compta, who may be accredited by a, another agency or who are unaccredited completely, since I guess the dirty little secret in massage education is accreditation is voluntary. There's no requirement to be licensed in the majority of states without, you know, you can come from any state-approved school and be licensed in that state. That doesn't mean it'll carry over to another state or anything else, but uh, but that's the uh, rule. So a lot of schools will develop their curriculum based around Compta competencies because they're, they're pretty all-encompassing. And if a school provides education that meets all of those competencies, so someone comes out and, and actually can demonstrate those, uh, it's pretty sure that they'll be a successful candidate in the future. But that's kind of the, the, the bottom line on it. There's so many different types of massage schools, too. I mean, it's, when a student's looking for a school, in addition to being accredited, uh, they really have to see what environment they're going to be most comfortable in. Schools can be proprietary, either very large or medium-sized. They can be small proprietary schools that we kind of affectionately call mom and pops, where they'll be um, a couple of therapists who start a school and will have, you know, five or six students a cohort. There's also corporate schools that will be a lot of locations around the country under one corporate umbrella. But there's also uh, community colleges that have massage programs. So there's, there's a lot of choices when it comes to how you're going to get your massage education. And certainly they all have to be approved by their state. And pretty much all of them are going to... Um, teach you safe and effective use of equipment, the tools of the trade, tables and chairs and bolsters and linens and and lubricants. They're all going to teach some anatomy so you know what you're working with. And they're going to teach you how to give a good basic massage using gliding strokes, kneading strokes, the the various types of alternating pressures and, and things that make up a massage. But if you dive into the curriculum in a school's website, you're going to see if they have the other areas that are important. Are they teaching you how to assess? Uh, Are they making you research literate so you know how to look at research and see, is what I'm doing appropriate for the situation that I'm in? Uh, A lot of things that every school doesn't do, but accredited schools will do. 
You can still become a massage therapist after going to a school that is not accredited. But Cliff explains choosing a school that is accredited can help you invest in a well-rounded, higher-quality education. Accreditation is simply another level of standards that institutions agree to be measured by. Cliff likens it to a peer review. That's really what accreditation is. It's peer review. I think that's important. It's important in a lot of things in life to have uh, peer review, and education is no different. Uh, massage therapy may be the only profession affiliated with healthcare that does not require uh, accreditation. There's a lot of reasons to look for it if you're <laughs> if you want to make this a career. Yeah, no, that's so fascinating. The fact that the schools that are are willing to undergo this sort of scrutiny or accountability and peer review, to me, is almost like a no-brainer from somebody on the outside looking in because you just see it play out in so many other things. And then especially to the point you just said of, I mean, we are talking about healthcare at the end of the day. I mean, this we're, we're talking about improving people's livelihood and just experience of how they, they go to day to day through life with all the different techniques and everything that massage can offer. Well, I agree. And and to me, it should be a no-brainer. And I will beat that drum forever uh, with whomever I speak with. But when I came into the profession in the early 90s, it wasn't necessarily a healthcare profession. There were a lot of people who weren't even looking for a career. They were looking for personal growth. They wanted to work with family members. They wanted to work with a spouse and a horse or whatever, you know, there are a lot of different reasons why I'm thinking back to folks that were in my initial class of um, massage therapy who were very diverse folks. Today, typically it's people coming in looking for a career and many times it's a first career. They're coming in out of high school or they will have had several small jobs and this is a career move for them. And that's why it's, I think, much more important now than it, uh, it might have been back in the, in the 90s. And since massage therapy has come from that background, though, I think that's why the growth into a profession, the education did not necessarily parallel the growth at the same speed, which is why I think there's a lot of unaccredited schools. Mm -hmm. And I will say Compton, which, which I'm a part of, is the only accreditor that is recognized by the United States Department of Education as specialized in massage therapy. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of accreditors out there. There's a lot of massage schools that have accreditation that aren't comp to accredited, and that's fine. The difference, as I see it, is there all the aspects of education uh, are fine, but the curriculum is not peer-reviewed for specialized content for this profession. That's the primary difference. Yeah, that's a big deal too. One of the other things that I'm really curious about and what I've been able to ask some of the other professionals that I've spoke to so far is for a prospective student, what are the kinds of things they should be looking for and evaluating themselves when they're checking out these schools? And so again, I think you have a very unique take because you are like, you're evaluating schools for a profession, uh, like just as a, as a main thing. And so as a student, what are the questions I should be asking myself or what are the things that I should be looking for when I'm trying to decide on which school to go to? The very first thing is you have to look at why you want to go into massage therapy in the first place. What's your experience in it? Have you had massage? Have you had a lot of it? Did you try it once and liked it? Did you, I mean, what's bringing you to massage therapy in the first place? It's also important to decide what you're comfortable in, what you envision your profession to be. Do you want to work with athletes? Do you want to work in a hospital? Do you want to be a private practitioner with your own clinic? 
Do you want to work in a day spa or a medi spa? You know, what's your vision on that? And once you answer that question, the schools you're looking at, hit their websites, look to see if they have files of prior students to see if they're in those professions that you're looking for, or if they're they have a lot of folks who are doing sports and hospital, but you want spa. Well, then maybe that's not the what the school for you. If they're all spa and there's nothing else, well, if you want to go through to a spa, that's excellent. If you want to work in a different environment, maybe not so much. So that's one thing to do. But I said I, I was going to talk against my, my own point. I think it's also important not to get too wrapped around the axle as to what your vision is because I think that will change over time. And I typically tell students, don't really decide what you want to do until you've touched a thousand bodies because your experiences will change. I know mine did. When I went into school, I wanted to, I thought I would be doing almost all sports massage. I wanted athletes, I want, that's what I wanted to do. And I can look back now at a 25 or 30 year career and say, my most treasured clients were pregnant women. You never know where you're going to be until you're good at what you do and you find what really brings value to you. It sounds like if you choose a school and it has a specialty that you're interested in, great. But at the same time, um, you didn't say this explicitly, but getting a really solid and maybe well-rounded foundation is going to be more important in the beginning than exactly specializing in what you think you want. In truth... If you're going to be successful, you're going to be a lifelong learner anyway. And your continuing education is really where all your specialization skills are likely to come from. Mm -hmm. So the, the well-rounded, the solid foundation is the, the very best thing you can give yourself. Yeah, definitely. I've heard the continued education. That's been brought up a lot on this series as well. What other maybe um, easier to note characteristics should we be looking for when evaluating a school? I think what they show or don't show in their own marketing material, their website, is very key. They're going to always promote their long suits, the things they do best. So you're going to see why they want you to go to their school. If you have determined things you're looking for in a school and those aren't there, you can't really assume that they're there because everything else is good. Uh, and I'm trying to think of a specific, if in fact you're looking at the school's website and you're looking at their curriculum and what the course offerings were, and you want to make sure that your practice is going to include certain parts of Asian bodywork therapy, as well as more traditional Western, well, depends on what tradition you're, you're talking about, but more mm -hmm. traditional for, for us Western uh, techniques, you can't naturally assume that they're going to be there if they don't go into depth into their curriculum. So again, it, it's just much like a school has to do a self-assessment to be accredited. You have to do a self-assessment before you, you want money down to a school to say, all right, uh, I'm going to prepare myself for an education. I'm looking for you to facilitate that. Cliff's insights underlines what you should look for in a massage therapy program. However, he acknowledges that a certain level of flexibility is necessary. Remember, Every student will have a different vision, and every school has different teachers and people who make up that institution. At the end of the day, you need to define your own unique goals. Call the schools that you're interested in, visit them, and talk to their alumni. 
Understanding your school options in light of this context and your own experience rather than the school's marketing is important. I would say everything is negotiable because the educational background of the providers are so different. Again, the small mom and pop just may not have the resources in web design. They may have everything and they may actually be accredited. They just will have their marketing and website may not be the same as a corporate entity will who has uh, all sorts of studies as to what people need to see to join them. Uh, so so that, I mean, really, that this is the, the personal part of, I don't see it, if that's important to me, I'm going to get on the phone and call somebody, I'm going to talk to a recent graduate, I'm going to do something to see that it's going to meet my needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's such an interesting dynamic. I don't know if you have anything else to say on it, but like when, when I look at businesses on one hand, like you said, the guts or the foundation of the curriculum or the teachers or whoever it is might be amazing. But like if, like you mentioned, if they don't have the resources, maybe it's not marketed as beautifully as it could be or vice versa. Anything that we're going to be investing in requires that sort of, you know, is it sizzle or is it steak determination of, you know, whether you're buying a car or whether you're, you're picking a school. The hype isn't as important as the, the meat. And I happen to think talking to other folks who have come out of a school is one of the best ways to find what the experience is like, what the feeling is like, whether someone walks out of there feeling capable and prepared for what comes next. You're not going to get that by reading a catalog or uh, e- even a visit to a school, which I think everyone should do. Getting on the table of someone who graduated from that school and asking questions is a really good way of finding out are people prepared for the same things that, that you're looking for. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't even think about that. You just, you hire <laughs> hire one of the alumni of the school to give you a massage and then chat with them while it's kind of happening. That's funny. What about from, uh, we, we've talked about schools kind of in, in the sense of institutions. What should I expect from my instructors or my teachers? <laughs> I hate to go back to accreditation, but this is one of the one of the real reasons that I think it's important. Back when I went to school and I look for accreditation because I had kids in high school who were going to be going to college. I, I couldn't, this had to work for me when I was making this, this change. And I was appalled to find that some of my advanced instructors were last year's students. And that's just wrong <laughs> on many levels because they obviously did not have real world experience. They didn't have thriving practices that they had to cut back to to teach because they had a desire to teach. I am a firm believer in, uh, if you're going to be an educator, you should be a professional educator. You should have skills in teaching. So that's one thing. Look at the, not how long they've been practicing. And I don't care if they're teaching technique or they're teaching theory or they're teaching anatomy or they're teaching pathology or what they're teaching in the school environment. Look for their backgrounds. How long have they been teaching? What teaching skills do they have? Not necessarily how long they've been in practice. One pro of attending accredited schools is that their teachers are required to show evidence of their experience, both in their practice in their classrooms, in their ongoing education, and their personal and professional development. Cliff points out that this makes sure your anatomy teacher isn't teaching just from the textbook, but actually pulling from their real-world experiences. Just because you've practiced something for 15 years doesn't necessarily mean that you can teach it, and so being able to find maybe not equal parts, but at least 
evidence of both they understand the trade and they understand how to communicate it to other people in a way that they'll understand. I mean, those those factors are so significant. Not only communicate it, but effectively evaluate it. I mean, yeah. there's, there's so many aspects to teaching that, again, skills that I don't necessarily have, but but are crucial to, to education. And uh, again, a, an accredited school has to give the background of their teachers. They may have to make sure that they uh, they get that they get their own continuing education uh, in uh, you know their their own pers- uh, professional development skills. Uh, so it it uh, um, you really want to make sure you're not getting last year's students mm-hmm. uh, as this year's teachers uh, when you're in a in a class. And how do they do that? Whether they can do that through education, they can do that through. Uh, skills and their own evaluation, but they it's it's up to the school to show the accreditor that that instructor is sufficiently capable of, of teaching that course. Excellent. I want to jump back to you for a minute because one of the things you said earlier in the interview caught my attention. You said it was around in your 40s that you decided to get in massage therapy. How? T- tell me that story. Like It seems like a big transition if you went from business all of a sudden and pivot to massage therapy. I had been in, in a sales job for, well, from the time I came out of the Navy, and I was in telecommunication sales. I, w- I was a national account manager. I was running around the country with a government bag on one shoulder and golf clubs on the other. And all of a sudden, I started to hurt, and I found that massage therapy helped that. So I took advantage of that a lot. I ended up leaving a company, starting my own company, selling video conferencing equipment, which uh, did wonderful for a year and then started to tank. And I ended up closing it down, firing folks and saying, all right, what do you want to do now, Cliff? (laughs) And I said, maybe it's time I started using something other than my mouth to make my living. (laughs) And my hands and my heart and my my mind were perhaps a good good thing to do that for. So what did I do? I applied and got accepted to uh, chiropractic school. Then it hit me that uh, my degree was in business economics. I didn't have the hard sciences that were the prerequisites. So I would have had to do a couple years of prerequisites before going to med school. And just with kids in high school ready to look at college, I couldn't take more loans to do five or six years of education. So I said, what else can I do that's going to give me what I need? And then it hit me. Well, I can get that same thing from massage therapy because I've been using it for years. I'm just not going to make the money. And so my wife and I sat down at the kitchen table and went through it. And she said, hey, go for it. We'll be all right. And it's one of the best decisions I ever made. I loved it. I was good at it. And I think I've given back as almost as much as I've taken. It was a good decision. That's the story. Yeah. No, that's really exciting. So as we we wind down, I, I just want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything that we haven't covered or are there any final thoughts you have for our listener? So the students who, again, are earlier figuring out, like considering schools, considering massage therapy, or maybe even just in the beginnings of their program, what would you like them to know? I'd like them to know that first off, they're really thinking about what I think is the about the best career in, in the world. There's nothing that uh, I can think of that would have given me more satisfaction, more pleasure, more feel good stuff, and still allowed me to put my kids to school and live and pay off a mortgage and all that stuff. It really is possible to do that. But also, when you're, you're going into a profession that maybe they're all like this, I don't know. I find that one of the most important things you can do to 
progress in the field is to give back to the field. My way isn't the only way. You don't have to uh, uh, be in every organization that uh, <laughs> has anything to do with massage therapy, but, but you do, I think, have to invest in yourself. And you can do that by continuing education, but you can also do that through professional associations and going to conferences and meeting other folks and finding mentors and being a mentor and, again, reinvesting into the profession. That's one of the things I like best about my time with the Massage Therapy Foundation. We were you know, raising funds to just give it all back to research. So I remember clients being so proud of me every time I came back from something and talk, was just chatting about things we've done. And talk about a way for to build confidence with, with your clients just by by doing things in your own profession so that they know that they're dealing with someone who is committed to the future of the profession as it pertains to them. Those are just, I think, things that you can't you can't do enough of is give back to the profession. So I have one message bigger than accreditation, bigger than anything else in that is if you're going to be in a profession, make sure you're a professional in the profession and make that important to you in all aspects. Yeah, no, it's, it's very clear that you've continued to live that out through this portion of your career at the very least. And so thank you so much today, Cliff, for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> if you know someone who's considering a career in massage therapy, please share the show with them. Or if you are considering a career in massage therapy, make sure you're following us on your podcast app of choice. You do not want to miss future episodes. Choosing a Massage School is sponsored by East West College of the Healing Arts in Portland, Oregon. East West College has been successfully educating massage therapists in a safe, supportive, and professional environment since 1972. To learn more about East West, visit eastwestcollege.edu. The show is created in partnership with Come Alive Creative. The show is produced by Maggie Fisher and edited by Isidore Nieves. I'm your host, Jeff Large. Thanks for listening. Thank you.